Hi, everyone. My name is Michelle from The Table in Uniontown. Thanks for tuning into our podcast this week. We're happy you're here. This is the live recording from this Sunday's sermon. We're currently in our sermon series, You've Got Mail, where we discuss the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. We hope that as you listen, you'll more deeply understand the truth of God's word and how much he loves you. Let's jump in. Welcome. You've got mail. You know, as a kid, I was a uh, huge, huge professional wrestling fan, and I always thought, and now I'm a huge baseball fan too, I've always thought, like, man, it'd be cool to have walk-up music, you know? Like, people headed to the plate had walk-up music, professional wrestlers with, like, the pyro behind them and their walk-up music. This is not what I had in mind. This is the closest that I've ever gotten and probably the closest I'll ever get. But good morning. So this morning, uh, we are on the fifth of these seven letters in Revelation 2 and 3. This one is to the church in Sardis. You can find it in Revelation 3, 1 through 6. I'll give you a moment to turn there this morning in your Bibles. If you have one, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it will be on the screen behind me. And of course, if you don't have a Bible at all, or you don't have a Bible that you can read and understand plainly, I would love to give you one after the service, so just come see me. Also, I have a new microphone today, so if... uh, if, if we have some sound issues, bear with me. And if you think I kind of resemble Britney Spears also, uh, bear with me. It's the side effect of having the microphone on the side of your face. All right, the reading. <clears throat> Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die, for I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy." In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. This is a a short letter this morning. Uh, but is also the most negative of these seven letters. And that's saying a lot because there have been a lot of hard things said here. If you've been with us and you've heard this series so far, there have been a lot of hard things, harsh things said in Revelation 2 and now 3, right? Jesus has pulled no punches. He has not danced around difficult subjects. He has just kind of given people the truth very straight. And again, This is the most loving thing for Jesus to do. He does it not because he's just really ticked and he like can't control his anger and he has to lash out. He's he's not losing his temper here. He doesn't doesn't do it to wound these churches. 
No, he, he does it out of love for these churches. He does it because above all, he has a desire for none to be lost. And so he wants them to repent when they've gone wrong. And he wants them to keep the faith. He wants them to keep walking in his ways until the very end. And that's love. love. Love doesn't say hard things just to make you feel bad. Love says hard things so that you might flourish. Jesus loves his churches. Jesus loves the church. And Sardis is no exception to that. And so Jesus gets right to it in this letter. This is not a, uh, this is not a compliment sandwich sort of letter. There's no starting with the positive in this letter, right? It says, Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. You might read seven spirits of God and think as the astute theologians that you all are and are, are becoming, wait, I thought God was Trinity. I thought God was triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? But it's actually Father, Son, and seven spirits. So that's, that's God in nine persons. What do you call that? Three is a trinity. What would... What would nine be? And, and somebody here knows that answer and will tell me afterwards, I'm sure. But no, John isn't saying that God is nine persons, that there are seven Holy Spirits. Everything isn't quite as it seems in Revelation sometimes. As I've said, some people's approach to reading the Bible is, is God said it, I believe it, that settles it, Right? which looks cute on a bumper sticker, but neglects the fact that you have to kind of interpret what God has said. One scholar points this out, which I think, which I find to be interesting. The number seven as a sign of the Spirit's divine fullness might also allude to the, the Septuagint's rendering of Isaiah 11, 2 and 3, with its sevenfold description of the gifts and activities of the Lord's Spirit, which are wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, godliness, and the fear of God. And so I wonder, as I I read that, I wonder, are these the things lacking in Sardis that contributed to their death? And that's why why Jesus says it this way. So this morning, I want to focus on three points, really. I do this sometimes, by the way, if you've been here long enough, if you've heard me preach long enough, I sort of have two modes of preaching that I go back and forth on. It's either like this kind of walk through the passage, like, like a commentary with a personal application at the end, right? Or it's like three points, like a traditional three-point sermon with that same personal application at the end. One day, I will stick to one and maybe do one all the time. But they say, I think it maybe Malcolm Gladwell said, it takes like 10,000 hours to find your voice truly. Uh, and I am nowhere close to 10,000 hours at this, so I have a while. Anyways, three things that I, I want to look at this morning. One, you are not your reputation, You are not what people say about you. Two, there's a way to go through this life seemingly very alive and vibrant, all the while being spiritually dead. And three, repentance is always on the table. Jesus is in the business of raising the dead. And so he gets down to it. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You can see here that you are not your reputation. Having a certain reputation does not mean you are what people or who people say you are. It just doesn't. People know however much of you that you choose to reveal to them for one. And even then they're seeing you through their lens, which is not necessarily reality. And that's all mixed together 
with what other people say about you, right? What, what rumors about you have been spread, if any. It's mixed with the worst experiences people have had with you on your worst days. And who you are on your worst days is not indicative of the whole body of work, which is your life. You are not your reputation. Now, this, this might have sounded like very good news to you to hear that you are not your reputation, because you've heard, maybe, maybe it's been emphasized this way to you, that reputation, having a reputation, is a bad thing. You might have heard, don't do X, Y, or Z from your parents, or you'll get a reputation. Or maybe you start at a new job, or you start at a new school, and you say, oh, her over, over there, that's, that's so-and-so. She has a reputation for being the school gossip. Or, or him over there, that's the school goody two-shoes. Or X, Y, and Z, right? We, we associate reputations with n- negative things. But reputations can be good. Your parents might have more emphasized this sort of like, take on reputation. You need to protect your reputation. So if the things people think of you are good or your record is clean, you need to live up to that. Or else, and more likely, be very sneaky when you're doing the less than squeaky clean to protect your reputation. But in the same way that you are not what people say about you in the negative sense, you are not what people say about you in the positive either. Those things that they say about you might be true, but they are not all you are. People might think you're the most positive person they've ever met. But only you know inside how much you hate the person in the cubicle next to you and you revel when misfortune comes their way. You're a great guy, they say, but they don't know about your objectifying women or lying to get to the top or whatever it is that you've done. And you might even distort these things yourself and see them as all you are, like Maybe overall you are a kind and respectful person, but there's something you've done in your past. One bad moment, one wrong decision, one moment of poor judgment, and you have let that define you to yourself. You are not even your reputation that you've given yourself. You're not who you are on Instagram. You're not who you are on Facebook. You are not very likely the you that you are publicly, that you let people see. Some of that, of course, is you. I'm not saying that you're just fake, but it's not the entire picture of you, of who you are, because you're a sinner who probably doesn't publicize their sinning, right? Unless maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and perhaps you don't think what we would call sinning is sinning. You might think that what we call sinning is even good or, or, or right, but, but as a Christian, you have a reputation to maintain, you think. Christian or not, though, you are not your reputation. No one is telling the whole story about you. You might post to your story on Instagram your open Bible next to a cup of coffee on a good day, but you certainly don't post, missed another quiet time this morning, 73rd in a row, Right? You don't put that on your story ever, like a picture of like your nightstand in the dark, like still sleeping, or, or you don't post like, didn't pray again this morning, been weeks since I've talked to God, right? You're not, you're not posting that to your story, obviously. You are not your reputation. And, and Jesus says it's quite possible that you even could have a reputation for being very spiritually alive and yet being dead. And that is the warning here for Sardis this morning. No matter how holy, no matter how much you attend church, no matter how much you know the Christian lingo, no matter how willing you are to pray out loud in a group, no matter whether you lead worship, preach, lead networks of churches, 
all of that can get you quite the reputation. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Revelation is here to tell you this morning, don't buy your own hype. Because God sees the true you. You don't even fully see the true you. But God sees and knows the true you. You are not what other people say about you. You are not your reputation, good or bad. And they had this reputation. It was for being alive, but they were dead. That was the reputation they had. They had a good reputation, but it was not indicative of the reality that they weren't alive, they were dead. And so this means that there is a way for us to live whereby all exterior metrics, you would seem to be spiritually alive. And yet it's not so. You're actually spiritually dead. What does that mean? What do we, what do we even mean when we say dead? Spiritually, we are made alive in Christ, right? That's all over the New Testament. If you've read it, that idea is all over the New Testament. But these people, who are the church, I think who were once made alive in Christ, have let their spiritual life slip so much that it seems there is nothing left. There is no life left. There are Christians who, while from the outside seemed very much alive, were, were dead the whole time. And it happens, it happens now. This isn't a, a first century reality. This is, this is a truth of what can happen in the Christian life. One popular apologist, Christian speaker, I don't really know how we do this, if we name names, so I won't, but many of you will know who I'm talking about this morning. Upon his death, it came, it came to light to his family and the world that he was assaulting women, committing all sorts of sexual sin, harming women. Now, if you mentioned his name, if you mentioned his name while he was alive to Christians, you would hear adjectives to describe him like godly, brilliant, a gift to the church. In his life, it, it impacted for the positive millions of people. Many people are Christians today because of his influence. He has surely impacted people in this very room this morning. Secretly, however, he also destroyed lives. I would venture many people sit in the chair of a therapist. Many people struggle with PTSD or other trauma because of this man. But his reputation was the former while he was alive, godly and wonderful. Not only was he not his reputation, but we ask the question, was he actually just a dead man walking? Was he spiritually alive, but just very flawed during that chapter of his life? Was he just a sinner somehow so wrapped up in his sin that he actually did still, though, somewhere in the deep recesses of his heart, love Jesus, but he just had these stronger, inordinate desires that led him to hurt people. Was that, was that what was true of him? Or was that somewhere far in his distant past, and at some point his heart had given up on Jesus while his mouth still taught about him? God, might it, it never be true of me or anyone else here? And we don't know the answer to that question. We, we don't know. We don't know. God does. But we see these cautionary tales and there are plenty in the church, and we wonder, were they the real deal and just got themselves ensnared in sin? Because there's a difference between sinning and being spiritually dead. The Bible is full of sinners, right? Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 12. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me 
faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full, full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them, Paul says. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, he reiterates, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe and have eternal life. Now, yes, he's, he's talking about his past to a great extent. I'm sure you noticed that. But he doesn't say, but thanks be to God, I was the chief of sinners. I am now the captain of the saints. No, he says, he is, present tense, the chief of sinners. That's Paul, not spiritually dead, right? Peter denied Jesus three times and was guilty of more sin recorded in the scripture. Paul had to rebuke him to his face, we're told, because he stood condemned. Peter was a sinner, like a capital S, real sinner, right? We would not suggest that Peter was spiritually dead. There, there is no shortage in the Bible of sinners who are great followers of Jesus, so you cannot equate sinning with being spiritually dead. As you might sit here thinking, man, I sinned this week. Is this me? Do I still have a spiritual pulse or not? Well, I want us to take our sin very seriously. That, that sinning is not the equivalent to being dead as it's talked about here. Though the question, is this me, is important. When the Bible talks about something in a negative light, when it talks about sinners, when it talks about when it talks about things you shouldn't do, when it, when it points the finger, Pharisees point out the people they know it must be talking about. It, it's not me, it's that guy over there, it's that group over here, right? That's what Pharisees do. Humble people, hungry to know Christ and walk in his ways, bring those things to his feet and say, is this me, Lord? Is this me? Am I dead? Am I the dead person you're talking about here? And if you ask that question, and you are, then it's by the grace of God still active in your life that you would even care, I believe. Because you have to wonder if a spiritually dead person could hardly even care that they're dead. I wonder. And yeah, here's the thing. This, this letter, it's not written to Bobby or Tommy or Joan or Sue it's not written to an individual. He, he isn't saying you personally have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. No, he's saying you all, y'all, if you will, plural, this church, it has the reputation of being alive, but it is spiritually dead. This wasn't a personal deadness. It was a, a culture of spiritual death that had taken over the whole, the whole until this, this portion of Christ's bride was a rotting corpse spiritually. But of course, a dead church is made up of dead individuals. As you go, as I go, so goes the church. So in a sense, the right question to ask truly is, is it me, Lord? Am I dead, though others would look at me and describe me as spiritually alive, maybe even vibrant? Is it me? Are you talking about me? That's a good 
question. That's the right question to ask. Are you contributing to the life or are you contributing to the death of the church? Please ask yourself that. Am I dead or alive? But together we must ask the question, is the stench of death in the air here? Is the stench of death in the air here among us? Are we all together spiritually on our deathbed? So often we use the language, and I'm guilty of it myself, of, oh, that church is dying. And what I mean is that it's gone from like this amount of people down to like a much smaller amount of people. But in the sense of this letter, there, there are churches whose numbers aren't diminishing, even whose numbers are increasing, and yet they are quite dead. They're quite dead. But here's the good news in, in my final point this morning. Being dead seems like it should be the end of the story. But with Jesus, it never has to be. There's always a chance for repentance. Jesus says, remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. Remember what you've heard. Remember what you've been taught. Remember what you've learned to be true. If God resuscitates you, if he breathes, breathes, breathes life into your spiritually dead body, remember Remember the truth about Jesus. Remember the gospel. Remember the things you've heard. Remember what you've been taught. You died by forgetting over and over and over. Every day forgetting over and over and over. You died by being in a continual state of forgetfulness. You didn't hold tight to, you didn't keep in the front of your mind the truth about who God is and what he's done through his son. You didn't remember who you are because of what Jesus has done for you. And you didn't, you didn't remember how you're to live in light of that. And you didn't do it. You forgot all of that. And the Lord urges us to remember again. Remember again. And not only that, don't only remember those things, but keep them. Don't just do the cognitive work of remembering. Actually live into and walk in the truth. And in doing so, what? Repent. Repent. Change your mind. Change the ways you've been thinking. Change the thinking that led to your spiritual death. Jesus takes the pulse of this church and says, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are the walking dead. This church in Sardis is a zombie church. They walk and they make noise and they might look alive, but they are dead. So repent and only in repenting, only in turning around, only in running back to Jesus can you come to life again. But you can come to life again. That's the beauty of it. Death isn't final for this church. They can, they can turn it around still. Nancy Guthrie in her book on Revelation, which we've heard from more than once in this series says this about this church in Sardis. She says, they were spiritually sleepy, apathetic. When they heard the word preached, their minds were elsewhere and it didn't penetrate. They were spiritually weak. Whenever they felt the urge to vigorously pursue life in Christ by meditating on or memorizing scripture, getting up early to pray, sharing Christ with their pagan neighbor, or by fighting the sin they've given into over and over again, they decided to lie down until the urge had passed. 
They had a loss of appetite, no hunger for God's word, no desire to learn anything new or to rigorously apply what they'd already understood quite clearly. Is this describing you this morning? Are you spiritually dead? Was that description I just read eerily similar to how you've been going through life? By the grace of God, did it make your heart a little sick? By the grace of God, did it make you want to make things right? Did it make you want to run to God right now and tell him you're sorry? Did it make you want to find new life in Christ again? Did it make you want to change? That's God's grace in your life. Don't ignore it. Do not ignore it this morning. God does more than resuscitate woozy sinners. He resurrects dead Christians. He resurrects dead churches, even today. You know, Sardis was once a great city. It was famously the place where King Croesus lived. That was a big deal back in the day. The city was destroyed by an earthquake. Rome rebuilt it. Sardis was in debt to them for the rebuild. And even in rebuilding, it looked like they were expecting another earthquake. And yet the Sardian people, including the Christians, they quite likely identified heavily with their city and specifically the tradition and history of their city. See, Sardis had a reputation, a good reputation, a prestigious reputation, and that reputation was ancient history. That was then. Now they were the city that after the earthquake had very little to its name, very little to brag about. It had a, rep a reputation it couldn't live up to anymore. May it not be said of you or me. May it not be said of us. May the dead among us come alive this morning. So if that's you, forget your reputation. Do you want people to think you're alive? Or do you want to be alive? Because they are far from the same thing. Michelle, you can come up. Sardis had another unfortunate thing happen to them in their history. Sardis, as far as we know, had never been beaten in face-to-face, hand-to-hand military combat. Their, their military forces were never defeated that way. However, twice the city had been taken captive. Not by losing to a stronger military, no, but due to a lack of alertness, due to a lack of diligence. Not only once, but twice was the city taken just by a sneak attack. They weren't paying attention. They weren't looking out. And, and while not in a battle, somebody snuck up on them and, and overtook the city. Jesus knows full well that every person in Sardis knows and probably is ashamed of that fact and that part of their history when he says, if you are not alert, I will come like a thief and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. Just like those two other times that it happened to your city, it could happen to you. If Jesus' return sounds like a threat to you this morning, if Jesus' return scares you this morning, if, if it's sounding like a thief arriving at your home in the middle of the night rather than a loving father coming to take you home, then your relationship with Jesus needs to change significantly. And it can this morning. And communion is this great opportunity to take your first step towards Jesus, towards a relationship with him, 
or communion is a great opportunity to take your first step back towards him. If you've been away for a while, if you've been, if you've been lying in a casket for a while now, we take communion by remembering that Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and again giving thanks, he said, this is my blood shed for you. A new covenant I'm making with you for the forgiveness of sins. And so we take this meal every week. We remember what Jesus did for us. We remember that Jesus was resurrected and the hope that we will one day be resurrected. And this morning with the hope that if we've come here and we're dead, if we're in a place of deadness, that we can be spiritually resurrected here and now. We can, be, we can come back to life in Christ. Jesus resurrects dead, spiritually dead Christians. He loves to do it. He calls us to repentance because he loves us. So we take communion every week by taking the bread, dipping it in the cup, and remembering these things. I have communion over here towards the back on my left. I have gluten-free communion if you need that towards the back on my right. My My friends Randy and Rachel will be on either side of the room if you need somebody to just put a hand on you and pray for you. Maybe, maybe this morning, as, as you're thinking about these things, you think, wow, my spiritual life has slipped. That description was me. I wonder if I'm spiritually dead. That's a thing to sit here and, and process with the Lord, but it's also a great thing to ask somebody, can you pray for me? This is how I'm feeling right now. And so uh, this morning, we're just gonna make some room uh, for you to do what you need to do. Whenever you're ready to take communion, it's available for you. And um, yeah, this is your time. This is your moment with the Lord. Let's pray and then you're dismissed to do that. Father, as I stand here this morning, you know, I, I look out at people that I know, but I know that there's more to these people than what I know of them. They are not their public-facing selves exclusively. They are not their reputation. I am not my very public-facing self right now or my reputation. So God, if there's anyone here this morning who has heard your words, heard my words, and said, you know what? I've been dead for a long time, I think, but I think, think I hear Christ's voice saying, get up, that they would get up they would walk with you again, that they would repent and they would never find themselves spiritually in that casket again. Father, you, you are so good to warn us. You are so good to, to discipline us. You are so good to love us enough to give us chance after chance that even if we find ourselves spiritually dead, it is not the end for us because you raise the dead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our Sunday service. If you're interested in joining us in the future, you can find us at 17766 Cleveland Avenue Northwest on Sunday mornings at 10. Additionally, we host a meal every first and third Sunday after service in order to fellowship with one another. Visit aseatforyou.org for more information. We hope you'll join us next week. Go in peace.